Good morning. It's now Thursday morning. Later in the week, thank God. Can't wait till it's Friday. There's most people. Uh, just getting ready here. Today, I'm going to do a much shorter podcast because I don't think there's a need for a longer one. I can't think I've done so many in such a short time. I think it's better to space it out a bit more. Uh, And I really have to start doing ones with show notes. Yeah, show notes would really help to direct the conversation. I think maybe there is something I can do with what I've done already. There's something I can work with there. Well, the girlfriend and I, we had a little bit of a fight last night with that life, right? And what we had a fight about, in my eyes, was that she basically said, oh, there's just a little bit more and we're done moving out of the apartment and I got really angry at that remark because I couldn't help myself because I don't see it that way I'm not going to say there's only just a little bit more to do until it's all done because last year we rented uh, our apartment out to this guy who um, you know came in and rented us rented it from us for three months in the summertime and the first minute he got in the place, he was absolutely awestruck by how dirty he thought it was. And he complained all summer long about it, complained about everything, complained about the elevator, the ants in the place, uh, how much he had to clean up, blah, blah, blah. Everything he was dissatisfied with. Wasn't happy with anything. He was even complaining about the bloody neighborhood, which I had no control over, you know? how it was a dangerous neighborhood in the clubbing district. Well, why the hell did he choose it? But anyway, that I didn't have any control over. But what I did have control over was how much I cleaned the apartment. And we left it too late, and we did too little to clean up the apartment, my girlfriend and I. So this time, I don't want to make the mistake when we let other people move in to like take the easy route out and say, oh, there's just a little bit more to do. You know, leave it to the last minute and then end up not cleaning it up to the level it should be. So, I just definitely don't want to make that mistake because I can, I never forget that time last year. I felt really bad and I was really upset. Not at her, but both of us because we both are very messy people. And our, both of our perception of, you know, relatively clean is not what other people, you know, especially who are real neat freaks would consider really clean. So, I'm gonna get this place as clean as possible in the next day or two, or die trying. Because these people are moving in on Saturday. I was also in a bad mood yesterday 
we were fighting a bit. But I was in a bad mood because of work, you know, being somebody's punching bag at work. You have to get used to that. You know, the bosses sometimes, you know, uh, I use the word scolding or what do you call it? Dissatisfied all of a sudden with my work. He's the boss though. If he wanted it one way but never said he wanted it one way and then all of a sudden wants it one way and gets angry at me, I guess it's that's what a lot of people have to deal with at work. And I guess the whole point is, you know, don't take it too personally. Oh shit. Because a lot of bosses slash managers use that technique to motivate. Even if things, if you're doing an okay job, they make you feel like you're doing a crappy job in order to do a better job. I think that's what it is. And I think with my boss and a lot of other bosses, they need a really scientific way to gauge things, so a precise way to gauge progress, to gauge value of effort, you know, what they deem valuable from an employee. into it because it is not really the uh, aim of this podcast. I'm just making general observations. Wow, I've just entered onto the Gardner Expressway. To the right of me, there's a lot of construction going on. They're moving mountains of hills and they're building all kinds of roadways and everything. It's quite impressive. They're really redoing this area. They're trying to turn it into something spectacular or pretty or I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're trying to turn it into a park. I don't know what they're doing. It sure would be fun to be a designer on one of those urban projects. That would be quite a challenge. I did that kind of work a little bit in Japan. I worked with urban developers. That was interesting. It's kind of like automotive design just applied in a totally different format. Design, it all comes down to one thing, the most important thing, is a strong concept. Everything stems from the strong concept in the beginning. Before you can have a concept, concept, sorry, you have to do research. And I guess the research phase is one of my favorites. The concept, getting a strong concept, is, is probably one of the biggest challenges. And just as big a challenge is finishing the project. So those two, for me personally, are the most challenging. All the in-between parts are fairly straightforward. It's those two points that are very key. Oh, I need a coffee. 
friend yesterday, I went and visited him in uh, his apartment. He lives below me in my old apartment. And he was really up to a lot of interesting stuff. He's a real, uh, he likes to play around with gadgets and stuff like that. So what he actually did, he was proud to show me, was he built his own uh, drum kit. And it was a very uh, creative and unique approach to building a drum kit I've never seen before. What he had done was um, essentially use old film canisters, you know, the metal canisters, and he filled them with nuts, bolts, and screws. So they would create a rattling sound within those canisters. So it would be like a snare drum. And then he uh, put on a rubber pad on the top, cut it out. And when he hit it, it was kind of similar to a snare. And then what he did was he mic'd it with um, headphones. Because he was telling me, yeah, like headphones, as a lot of people know, they can become mics if you reverse the polarity. Not very strong mics, but they are mics. So each individual uh, drum he mic'd with that. He had these two little pieces of metal too that he said would simulate the sound of a snare. And then he uh, bought two bass kick drums from Craigslist. And he, uh, he wrapped one of them, you know, the hammer part in a box. So it would sound a bit like a bass drum. But he said he was still tweaking that part. And then he ran all those lines from those mics that became, uh, so those headphones that became mics for each drum into his mixer, into a single channel, and then he ran it through GarageBand. So yeah, I didn't get a chance to hear it because I wasn't there very long, but hopefully next Wednesday we'll have a jam at his place and I'll be able to hear it. And even play it, maybe it'll sound interesting. I miss that, you know, like having time to tinker like that. Now having this job, there's not much time to tinker. I don't know how he makes time to do it. He's actually uh, a computer programmer of sorts. He's building a uh, 3D paintbrush tool for uh, programs like Maya and Alias and all these three-dimensional computer modeling programs. But he has a lot of time, it seems, to uh, play his guitar and, you know, tinker around with stuff like that. And he somehow manages to pay the bills, so it's incredible. More power to him. Well, South Kingsway is three kilometers from now. Here's a topic I can talk about, I haven't gotten into yet. Um, I've been thinking about unnecessarily buying a new guitar. Uh, I haven't bought a new guitar in ages, and there's absolutely no purpose in it whatsoever, because I have two perfectly good guitars. And I don't think I will, I always toy with the idea of buying a new guitar. And the only thing 
that would really get me to go out and buy a new expensive guitar is if I really <coughs> was making a lot more money than I am now and I could really justify it. So what guitar would I buy? Well, there are two I definitely have my eye on and I can't resist. Traditionally, one has always been, and I don't know why, but I've always wanted an ES-335. I just, I don't know why, but I love that guitar. On top of the fact some of my favorite guitarists have played one, um, yeah, I just think it's really cool. How many people do you see playing semi-hollow semi body guitars? A little interesting fact about that guitar. I just checked it's recording still. Yep. I visited the plant down in the United States with my friend Brian uh, in Memphis, where they make the ES-335. A lot of them there. I think they make more than that plant than any other guitar. The reason it's called the 335 is back when it was released, that was the price of it, $335. So, yeah, today it's a hell of a lot more expensive than that. But even back then, when it was released in uh, whatever it was, what was it 1955 or something? Can you imagine paying $335 for a guitar in the mid-50s? That's insane. I think you could buy a car, a cheap car, for almost the same price. But I, I, might, get my, I might be having my figures wrong. Anyway, yeah, that's my top pick. Another guitar that would, is a close second pick, and I don't know, logically there's no reason in getting it, but uh, actually there is. I saw some interesting YouTube videos of ways of applying it, um, but what I'm talking about is the double neck SG. I forget what's it called again, the 1225 or something like that, I forget. The one made famous by Jimmy Page, Steve Howe, Alex Lifeson, a couple other, lots of people played that guitar. And the reason I want it is A, I, I'm into the more progressive rock scene, so to me somebody who plays that instrument looks like they're you know, into that kind of music and they're very serious and they're very and they're true artists because they uh, require such a device, two different sounds for a single song, and just it's a more color for the palette, basically. Just like in Stairway to Heaven, you can hear the difference between the uh, 12 string and the 6 string. Now why it's really functional is I saw some people on YouTube that were playing it, some guys and they would actually tune the upper, lower part to uh, open open tuning so you could have that ring while you're doing a solo or whatever on the bottom part. So that's pretty cool. You can have a little interlude on stage where you're just kind of doing a little piece with that. You can even write a specific sort of little song using that uh, ability, the open tuning and the uh, uh, soloing or just adding melody or something like that. So yeah, I like that guitar. I guess I get it in red. Uh, it seems to come only in red and white. 
haven't seen in any other colors. But also that guitar too was made at that plant in Memphis as well. And it's interesting, uh, I think it's rare, but there's um, a bass variation on it where the top or the bottom would become a bass and the other one was just a guitar. And in 1966, Elvis had a movie where he was on the cover playing one of those. I forget the name of the movie, but you can't forget the poster. He's standing there with a red SG double neck guitar. So even Elvis, wow. Um, other choices. Oh, geez, I'd like them all. Those are my top two. Third, I guess in a way, just because it's a classic in its own right, is I'd like an SG. Just a really cool, say, dark brown SG with one of those old sort of vibrato units on it. That would be really cool. Like the one Angus Young played. That would be a cool guitar to have. The reason I wouldn't want a Les Paul is because I already have one, although it's an Epiphone. Uh, I don't have a huge desire to have a, an American-made uh, Les Paul. Not now, anyway. If I was given one, sure, why not? But I feel like I'm so used to that guitar as it is. What other... But there is one really cool one. It's called the Robot Guitar. I saw advertised on TV. And apparently, it may only be available in Japan or Japan's wing of Gibson. And what it is, it's a blue sort of sunburst Gibson guitar. And the special thing about that is it tunes itself. So as you're playing, and if you go out of tune, it will tune up itself. And the guitar is something ridiculous like $5,000 or $3,000 or I don't know what. Outrageously expensive, but wow! As a musician, what a feature that would be. None of that nervous sort of tuning before a gig. Just plug in and boom. The only thing you have to worry about is breaking a string. I would gauge that in uh, what is it, five or ten years, this it will catch on and be uh, available in a lot more guitars and a lot more brands and makes. So I want one one day. Automatic tuning. Brilliant. About my other stuff. What is it? Instruments and that. Um, so that's, that covers guitars, basically. I guess I can talk about keyboards now. What keyboard would I really like and what do I have? Well, my favorite keyboard that I want and that I own ever is the, uh, the Mini Moog. I have one of those. Can't think of a single keyboard I want more. The ironic thing is I never play it in my band because A, it goes out of tune all the time, and B, it's way too heavy to drag around. But just owning it is an essential for me. That keyboard is such a classic. And the price has gone way up. And it's a good investment that I bought it because I got it for 
like $800 or something like that. Now they're worth like two to $3,000, if not more. But I won't sell it because I like it too much. It works perfectly, other than the fact that it goes out of tune all the time, but it always does that. But yeah, I just, just got to hang on to that one forever. Um, <coughs> what else? I own an RS50 Roland keyboard. <coughs> and it's like one of the cheapest professional grade keyboards. So that's about five, six hundred dollars. Maybe more like five. And I bought it after I came back from Japan, joined a couple bands, and it's been a real workhorse for me. I've used it a lot. A long time ago, before, back in the day, in the early 90s, I had a Korg X3. Which today is a little outdated, I guess, but I think it's still pretty good at uh, keyboard. So yeah, I've always wanted an M1 because it's such a classic. And you can probably pick up a Korg M1 very cheap. But I wonder uh, how obsolete they're considered. Like two years ago, I saw a guy in Mexico or whatever, or Jamaica or someplace like that, playing one in a band. Sounded great. So yeah, that'd be a nice keyboard to have kicking around maybe. Oh, there are a ton of other keyboards that'd be nice to have as play things. But I don't think I'll ever get around to buying them. A Fender Rhodes would be awesome to have. Would love to have one of those. Uh, the 73 unit I think it's called. With a nice black top. That'd be a nice keyboard on. A uh, Wurlitzer, of course. You know, with that super trap sound, that'd be really cool on. Although I hear they're a little fragile. Um, and of course, I'll never own it. But who knows? Uh, Hammond B3 would be awesome. I don't know if I've even really seen one in person, but the most classic of all organs. And then, of course, there's variations like the C3 as well. But yeah, can't deny Hammond. One of those electronic versions would be kind of cool, but I don't really see the point. The draw bars and everything like that. I don't quite understand how the draw bars work, but okay. Well, I think I'm going to get on a flow here, but I think I'm going to end this podcast now and listen to some other podcasts on my own iPod. So I'll give it a rest today. Thanks for listening. We've been recording now for 23 minutes.